Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Gamers Inn, where adventure begins. Check out their website at gamersinlehigh.com. Broadcasting live from the DCR studio. Oh, yeah! The Geek Revolution starts here. Excellent! Get ready for the number one hit geek radio show out there. Well, it is impressive, isn't it? Because it's time for Dungeon Crawlers Radio. All right, that's right. It's Dungeon Crawl Radio. Uh, it's here on Monday night, and we got Savart and Scotty on the line, right? Just Savart. Scotty's cooking out of work tonight. Ah, oh, Scotty's still, you know, making food. Making food so. like he does. All right, well, we also have the amazing Larry Korea on the phone as well. So, welcome, Larry. Hey, guys. Hey, hey. how have you been? Um, I've been good. Good, good. You know, I, it's been a <laughs> while. It's an understatement for any of you following the news. Let's just... <laughs> yes. we'll, we'll leave it at that, and we won't touch on the, the news anymore. <laughs> it's been crazy, but, you know, you you got a, your fantasy novel coming out, which is uh, Son of the Black Sword. Uh, yeah, that's coming out in October. The E-Arc is, uh, is out now. Or the advanced oh, nice. copies around there getting good reviews. Good. And, and this is your first fantasy? Oh, yes. This is my first straight-up epic, epic fantasy. Everything else I've done has been kind of alternate history or urban fantasy. Nice. And, and how amazing is that to go right out of the gate with your first fantasy and having Larry Elmore doing the cover? Oh, man. Okay, that was a nerd dream come true. You know, I... Uh, I grew up with Elmore posters on the wall and the Dragonlance calendar. And, you know, I bought the art of Elmore when the book came out. And, you know, I'm 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 an Elmore Elmore fanboy. So when he came out of, uh, he came out of doing book cover retirement because he was just doing original paintings and uh, he came out of retirement to do this cover and uh, he loved the book. He really liked it. So he agreed to do it. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm getting a great big print of it to put on my uh, on my office wall. I hope so. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> uh, I just, yeah, it, look, I mean, it looks like classic Elmore. It, it's so. I mean, it's like it's like a throwback to all the novels I loved when I was young. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm 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 pretty geeked out about that. That was that's pretty awesome. It is definitely awesome. And- I'm a huge fan of stuff. Dan, you're breaking up a little bit. Uh, he is on my side, too. Oh, no. I'm breaking up. Well, look at that. The internet. What craziness. I'm going to make a quick adjustment. Let's see. Uh, off that. 
This is the joy. All right. Am I clear? Is that a lot? You're kind of like coming in and out. Like you, I hear a few words and then you drop. Okay. You well, okay. Just one moment. We're going to make another slight adjustment here. We can so, right, we can like guess and piece together by like context. <laughs> yeah, we're just we're just gonna make assumptions. Hold on. I'm pretty no, sure he from... said that. Yeah, that's what he said. Yep, that's it. Exactly. All righty. So, and Mike. What's even worse? Ramble. I'll just... <laughs> okay. Hold on. Well, I just might okay. have to do it without him. I could ask you questions. Is this live? Go ahead. Can you? <laughs> live. It is live. So, so it's not live. What we? I don't believe it's live tonight, unless I'm mistaken. <laughs> Oh, poor Dan. <laughs> no. So, so you've been doing a lot of Monster Hunter series. What made you go over to fantasy? I grew up on it. Um, I, I grew up reading it, and I love it. And it's just, it's just something I wanted to do for a long time. And uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a gamer nerd. I played with Dan a bunch, or with the, um, the Dungeon Crawlers Radio Crew several times. And you guys know that. I'm, uh, so I think everybody who's a tabletop nerd at some point in time has to write a fantasy novel. <laughs> makes and, sense. Uh, yeah, you know, and I've had this idea for a long time, and uh, I actually started right. out as a short story. You back there? Yeah, you're sounding good so far. Hey, awesome. I had to call into my own show from, with my cell phone. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> oh, that's a miracle of technology, man. Yes. However, yeah, the show is live, so that's even better. So everyone's hearing. Oh, is it falling oh, apart? <laughs> oh. The, the joy is you... not broadcasting from our normal location. Yay! <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, it, it's been good. I've wanted to do this for a long time, and uh, it's a good book. I enjoyed it, and I think it came really good. Uh, Jim Butcher was uh, one of my early readers, and uh, he's doing a blurb for it. And he loved it. He thought it was great. Um, so, you know, when Jim Butcher compliments your writing and praises it, it's like, you know, you get like 10 million cool points. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I'll take it. I'll take it. You know, good, a good blue oh. from Butcher is pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, what I was trying to say earlier when I was blurbing in and out is I was saying I'm pretty jealous because I'm a huge Larry Elmore fan. You know, I've got several several small prints, and for you to get a huge print, let alone a cover for your own book, that's just amazing. So, I oh, mean, yeah. Jim Butcher. He's like, wow. he's like the most professional guy, too. So, um, we emailed back and forth, because he is like just Mr. Detail-oriented, right? So, he's like, okay, mm-hmm. what's this person look like? What's this look like? What's this? And uh, so, we wanted to call me on the phone. We talked for a couple hours, and he's like, okay, so on the armor, are we talking buckles or ties? You know, like sashes, what color are the sashes? You know, it's like, oh, my gosh. You're wow. you're hardcore, man. But, 
he said he was doing book covers for a long time. You know, that was his bread and butter. And uh, uh, he just kind of, the books got more and more boring. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. He was asked to do covers where, you know, he'd read the book and basically the people would stay in the village and talk about their problems for 300 pages. And he was like, well, what am I supposed to draw? You know, what am I supposed <laughs> to illustrate? And so he just, you know, and he was doing really well. His original, his original paintings go for a ton of money. He's doing really good. So, um, yeah, he just kind of got out of book covers and we, uh, I, I, I just kind of lucked out. It was, uh, it was kind of yeah. cool. I was actually at Comic-Con, uh, in Salt Lake and, uh, I went over to his booth because I wanted to get my original 1985 uh, original Dragonlance uh, paperbacks signed. Because I had I already mm-hmm. had Tracy Hickman, so I got Larry Elmore and Margaret Weiss. So I have all three uh, uh, on my books are signed. So I started talking to Larry, and he'd met me a few years before at a con when I was just starting out. I was a little nobody. He couldn't remember my name. And he, and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, you write for band. Um yeah, Tony Weisskopf asked me if I'd do a cover for Ban again. And I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not really into that anymore. And he says, you know, it, the, the pit sounds kind of interesting. He starts talking about, like, sounds really like what I wrote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, Larry, I, I think that might be me. And he's like, oh, well, I'm sorry. I can't remember your name. Because, you know, it had been, it'd been like four years since we met. And, and I go, oh, no problem. I'm Larry Cree. And he goes, oh, my gosh, I read your blog. <laughs> <laughs> and so then he read the book and he loved it and yeah so that was pretty awesome and I gotta hurry up and get the next ones done so we can do those two because the series um, <clears throat> but yeah and he enjoyed it and so I'm actually going to put a cover blurb from him too and there's going to be a, a cover blurb uh, from Larry too so I, I'm a big Larry fan that guy is like a pivotal part of the, the, the world of fantasy I mean he, yeah. I think every, everybody who's like in their 40s we we grew up uh, where like the visual uh, of our imagination was Larry Elmore, and, you know Keith Parkinson, and guys like that. So, oh yeah, because uh, that, that was that was those D those uh, novels, well not novels, I guess illustration books that we kept hidden away from our mothers, you know. Oh, a lot of chainmail bikini women in those. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Suck you by in the monster manual, you know. <laughs> no, but he's a super nice guy, so I'm really glad I got to work with him. Yeah, so I mean, you've been doing pretty well because I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Monster Hunter International was originally self-published, and then got picked up later, and now you've just been on a, a steamroll since then. Yeah, it actually did. Uh, so I uh, I originally self-published. It did pretty good. Uh, um, we did surprisingly good for a self-published book. This is back before the ebook revolution started. And then I uh, I got picked up by Bain. And I've actually written, uh, in six years, I've done 13 novels. And uh actually added it up the other day. I've, I've done 13 novels and sold 24 short stories. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's been, uh, it has been very, very busy. Um, yes. So I've been averaging about two books a year, and uh, you know I, I also write for uh, Privateer Press for War Machine, and I just finished up another sh- a shorter novel for them. I've done a not one novel for them. I just get a sequel um, that'll be coming out later this year. It's uh, it's kind of awesome, you know, because I'm, I'm a I, uh, I do war gaming, I do War Machine and Infinity, and that kind of thing. I'm a mini painter, so to be able to write novels for game companies and have them make miniatures 
of characters that I created is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had to, I had to be professional and actually, you know, play it cool so they'll pay me money because I don't want to get out that, you know, if you make minis for me, I'd probably do it for free. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> they could probably pay me in little little metal guys. But, uh, yeah, I don't let that get out. <laughs> yeah. Even though you just said it live. Yay! Live to like 100,000 people. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, so I got the Monster Hunter series. There's five of those now. I got the Grim Noir Chronicles. There's a trilogy and a couple novellas that are on Audible exclusives. Uh, I got another trilogy of that coming out. I've got the Dead Six Military Thrillers I write with Mike Cooper. We're working on the third novel, third and final novel in that series right now. Uh, gosh, a bunch of stuff. And then I got uh, with uh, John Ringo is actually a Monster Hunter fan. And so John Ringo is actually writing a series of novels set in the Monster Hunter universe. Oh, wow. I uh, just got done today editing one of them. So that's kind of cool. When, uh, when one of the most famous, when one of the most successful science fiction authors in the country calls you up and says, hey, yeah, I wrote a book set in your Monster Hunter universe. Uh, I want to publish it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's like, really cool. Uh, okay. Because <laughs> he just, he read it, he liked it, and he just, he writes on, he gets like inspired, and he'll just go and write a novel in like three weeks. I mean, the guy, the guy is crazy productive. Like he won't write a book for, he won't write anything for like three or four months. And then he'll just get on this kick where he stays up for like 20 hours at a time, typing 16, 20,000 words a day. And wow. uh, so he's, he's working on the third and final one right now. So he did a series of monster hunter novels set in the 1980s uh, before, huh. before my stuff started. So uh, just got done with the first one. It's, it's pretty awesome. Um, I, I, I really liked it. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's, it's a good book. So I am actually kind of excited that other people are playing in the world. I don't – shoot, I don't think we've made the official announcement yet, um, but I think we can. But there's also going to be an anthology coming out next year, uh, uh, coming out in 2016. It's Monster Hunter International Stories, uh, short stories by a bunch of authors. I think we've actually got seven New York Times bestsellers who are writing stories set in the Monster Hunter universe. And uh, that, that anthology will be out next year. That's pretty so, cool. So yeah. are, are you going to kind of move the Monster Hunter setting into more of a, a shared world universe now that you have these other people kind of diving into the pool? Kind of, sort of, in that I've also got a collaboration planned in the future. But the main the main storyline, the main plot, the main thing is is mine. And uh, okay. so I have still I, – I don't want to commit to how many books I have left in the series, um, but I have several um, still to write. But I just—it's been really popular, and all these other authors have wanted to play in it. So, you know, I'm—I'm I'm really super happy to let them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as an author, it's—it's kind of—it's—it's flattering. It's—it's it's cool when these people are like, "Yeah, sure." Oh, because like the anthology, we filled that up within—I uh, think it was like within 24 hours. It was maybe 48. It wow. was crazy. We threw it out there to a handful of people, and they're like, "I'm in, I'm in, I'm in." And because uh, you know, we tried to spread it out so like have a lot of experienced people and then some some younger, newer authors, too, and it was just really exciting, and we had a ton of people jump in, so, um, you know, and, and some of them were fighting over, I get to do this, I want to do this, I want to write this person, I'm like, okay, you know. Wow. <laughs> they can, you know, and, and they can battle Hunter, for my amusement. 
That that is pretty cool though. And, and Monster Hunter is now is also a role playing game now. Oh yeah, yeah. There, um, from uh, from Hero Games, uh, there is the Monster Hunter International role playing game. Well, it's actually the Monster Hunter International Employee Handbook, and uh, that's been a lot of fun. I I don't I don't play it myself because I I, I I play role playing games to get away from work. And yeah. so if I role play in my own universe, it sucks for me, like personally, because it's like I'm okay. There's two problems. First off, it's it's what I do for a living. Right, so I'm role playing yeah. my job, and then second, anytime anybody does anything or says anything, they all look at me to make sure it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's like I want to do this, and then they look at me like that. Okay, I, I I don't know. I just want to play. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and, but, and you're not the only one. I mean, I've asked this, the same question to Brandon Sanderson, and he's like, "No, it's too much like work." Yeah. Yeah. With his Mistborn role playing game, it's it's. His universe, he doesn't want to, he wants to play. He doesn't want to, uh, you know, work at it. So that makes total sense. Well, it, it, okay, so uh, it's kind of because Jim Butcher's coming out for Comic-Con, uh, Salt Lake Comic-Con, mm-hmm. and I already talked to him. We're going to do, do a game night one night, and uh, I, I'm not going to do Dresden Files. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. do that to him. <laughs> Plus, I think I, I think I volunteered to GM, and I'd be scared I'd screw it up. <laughs> That would be a really fun game session, though, with you and, and Jim. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. Jim's Jim's a stud. He is just a great guy. So, uh, I was able to uh, harass him into com- into coming to Salt Lake. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I try to harass people into coming out here because it's kind of one of those places that people forget about. But yeah. uh, you know, we have a great Comic Con. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And it'll be it'll be very uh, very fun. I'm gonna I don't know what I'm gonna run yet, but it won't be Dresden Files because I I will sit there and stupidly <laughs> be like I think I screwed this up. Is this right? Is this right? Yeah, because that yeah. that makes for a fun evening. But, yep. uh, yeah, well, you know how it is. If you need players, I'd be more than happy to volunteer. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I don't think there's a shortage. <laughs> yep. Not oh, at all. You. Me and you, we played. Uh, you last time I played with you was Fiasco, uh, at uh, at LTUE. Were you in that Fiasco game? I wasn't was in the Fiasco one? game. No, unfortunately, oh. I wasn't. Oh man, it was. Oh, yeah, that was just, that was but, a ridiculous game. The Fiasco is a fun game. game system. Yeah, we we played with Alan and Steve at Gen Con, and oh my gosh, the laughter. Yeah, I I have a really bad, terrible Russian accent. And so mm-hmm. I played a Russian mafia boss. Nice. <laughs> it was horrible. It was just basically just you know Rocky and Bullwinkle, moose and squirrel level Russian accent for for three hours. Nice. <laughs> well, now we're gonna have to ask you to give us an example of it. Oh, jeez. Let's see. I was like, uh, it's my corporation. It's my company, Krasnov, multinational corporation of greatness. Here, you belong to Dollar Shift Club. I sell you Shift every day, new Shift. Find a Shift on market. By the end, I was selling flails and claymores. Uh, nice. It's just, it's, I have a terrible accent. I can't do accents for crap. They all sound like that. That's my Spanish uh-huh. accent, too. That's because that I'm actually awesome. Portuguese, and people don't realize that the Portuguese accent actually sounds kind of like 
a softer version of uh, TV Russian. Um, oh. That's not a joke. I mean, that's actually what Portuguese accent sounds like. So that's why anytime I do voices in a game, they all kind of sound exactly the same. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah, no, the last game that you and I played in was uh, the Firefly one at uh, Comic-Con with Rabbit. Oh, that was a good one. Oh, man, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Where uh, we discovered that my, my son is a sociopathic killer. Yeah. Uh, who, who, by the end, was wearing a skin suit and was shot to death because he was mistaken for a reaver. Yep. <laughs> Which was lots of fun. Uh, I, I love that system. But, yeah, and uh, when did you, you have a, a writing seminar that uh, you're putting on soon through uh, the Utah State? Oh, Weber State, yeah. Uh, for Weber, Weber State, State University, I'm teaching a, uh, I'm teaching a creative writing class. It's a community outreach program, so it's open to everybody. And uh, I think, I'm not sure, but I think we've actually filled the physical classroom, but they also have it streaming online. You can still sign oh, okay. up. Um, there, there might still be space in the class. I don't know. They moved this over to like a bigger, a bigger room last I heard, uh, like an auditorium. So, yeah, but I'm doing a creative writing class next month. It will be uh, every Tuesday night, I want to say from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. It's going to be at the uh, Layton campus of Weber State, because that's the closest one to Salt Lake and the closest to the freeway, so I figured that would be yeah. the easiest for people. Um, yeah, so looking forward to it. It's, it's basically it's going to be um, eight hours of me rambling <laughs> first about writing and uh, getting good enough to, 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 you know, find, to, to actually sell your stuff. And the second part is going to be mostly about how to actually get published, how to make a living as an author, um, just the different tips and tricks. Because most people who are authors don't actually make a living at it. They, um, yeah. There's a lot of things that people do wrong, basically. Uh, either they, they try to skip the first part and they, and they try to sell their stuff before it's that good and they haven't really learned how to you know, you know, really hook an audience, or they're good enough but they can't get it out there in front of the right people. And so we're just going to go through. It's basically just kind of a class on on how to actually do this stuff and make a living at it. Uh, I think most writers, our, our ultimate goal is to quit our day jobs. And I, you know, I did that several years ago, and it's it's been really awesome because now my full time job is to is to just make up stuff. Make up stuff. That's what I awesome. do. Yeah, as my mom says, my when my mom describes my job, she says I uh, I tell lies and make crap up. That's right. Thanks, Mom. I love you, too. So she's saying you're a politician. You know, (laughs) at times I am. (laughs) Nice. Let's just say I know how Ted Cruz feels. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, in your class, are you going to be teaching uh, about plotting? Because, I mean, you you and John Brown uh, did a really good plotting uh, class there at LTOE, which was amazing. Um, yeah, that's uh, we will be going in. Uh, I'll be going into plots, uh, how to build plots. I'll be going into uh, basically just uh, pretty much a, a little bit of everything. You know, how to build good characters, how to write dialogue, how to do uh, various types of scenes. I mean, my specialty is action scenes. Because uh, mm-hmm. really, the plotting, it, the, the thing that me and John Brown do. It's, it, this is John's, and I just kind of help him out. I'm. I am Vanna to his Pat Sajak during this. And, um, I mean, if you caught that last time, then, you know, we basically go through and 
in about 30 minutes, you can plot a novel and come up with a pretty darn good plot for a novel. Um, mm-hmm. And we just kind of go through how you can build it out of just a series of, just a sequence of events. You basically come up with your beginning, your middle, and your end, and then you just flush it out from there. And uh, it works really well. And uh, as soon as we get time, uh, me and John Brown for LTE, we actually we, we brainstormed that sci-fi novel. And we yeah. did it in 30 minutes using ideas from my from my uh, 11-year-old son. Or he just gave us ideas of stuff that he thought was awesome. And me and John just kept spinning him into a plot. And we actually came up with, I think, a, a pretty good plot. And so when we get a chance, we're uh, talking about writing that, you know, uh, actually, you know, making it into a book. <laughs> nice. But, you know, we're both busy guys, but it's a good it's a good story. And the method works. And uh, and so, yeah, I'm going to go into that a bit. Um, but it, like I said, it's, it's eight hours over a month, so it's going to be a bunch of – I'm not going to be uh, – I'm not going to ask anybody to write anything, and we're not going to read each other's papers and grade them. Honestly, I think that kills people in creative writing classes. I think that's bunk because mm-hmm. – okay, so let's say you write a paper – or let's say you write a story in a creative writing class and the professor doesn't like it. Well, you yeah. know what? Professors hate almost everything I've ever done. And I make a lot of money selling it to people because I have an audience. Um, yeah. And, and you know, just because people in your creative writing class don't like it, it doesn't mean it's bad. It just means they're not your target audience. And so I am not going to do that. It's mostly just tips and tricks. And because, uh, I, I mean, I, I might not be their audience. If they want to write literary masterpieces of navel gazing uh, to get on Oprah Book Club, I am not the guy. <laughs> you know, I, I think yeah. it was. Uh, well, you know Dave Wolverton, right? Dave, Dave Farley. Yeah. He writes his Dave Farley. Yeah. You know Dave, right? Okay, yep. Dave used to teach BYU's creative writing class. He is the most successful creative writing instructor there's ever been because he's had like yeah. 400 of his students go on to be professional and like 100 bestsellers. The guy's amazing. But Dave was telling yeah, me that he had this one class. Uh, he had Brandon Sanderson and um, uh, uh, Twilight. What's Twilight? Yeah, Stephanie uh, Myers and Dan Wells. Stephanie Myers. Yeah, they were all in the same class. And uh, yeah. I think uh, I think Stephanie got a C. <laughs> hmm, shows. Anyways. Yeah, but she's made a billion dollars. Yeah, she she's made a lot of money off her story. I mean, she's made Daniel Rowling money. So. Yeah. You know, it, it, that's, a, that's, that's the thing. And that, that's the danger, I think, with grading writing. Um, and there's some stuff that's obviously wrong. But you know, for the most part, any rule you can think of, somebody out there is successful and breaks it. I mean, yeah. if you've ever read Cormac McCarthy novels, uh, I mean, the man doesn't even use punctuation. And, and he writes great novels. He writes great books. You know, No Country for Old Men, The Road... Basically, anything Cormac McCarthy writes now gets made into a major movie. I mean, the, yeah. the dude is super successful. So, yeah. I don't know. It's more, about, it's more about making people happy than it is about obeying rules, is the way I see it. Yeah, I mean, I remember in, in school where I would write stories and, you know, my English teacher would just say, oh, this is crap. You know, and I, I get a low grade. And it was discouraging, for sure, because, you know, you put your heart and soul into this and you think it's really awesome. Some of your friends think it's awesome, and then your teacher goes, eh, this is crap. Yeah, that tears you down. So I think the fact you're not having them turning in assignments is awesome. 
Yeah, well, I mean, one of those, I mean, bus is not that much time. It's only a month-long class, but, I mean, if you look at it this way, I got rejected. My first novel got rejected by everybody and their dog. I mean, everybody in the publishing industry rejected this book. Uh, I got rejected by every agent. Uh, I don't know. I I quit counting, but I got I got 100 rejections. I had a big box of rejection level letters and all this crap. And, uh, and then I self-published, and it did really good because people liked it. And and so the realization there is that, you know, the market is way bigger than it used to be. Well, it's, I mean, I mean, being able to reach people because it used to be you only had, you had to go through a set of gatekeepers. And um, you still do if you want to get into mainstream big publishing. But the audience is broader, and, and, and there's so many people out there that you can reach that the gatekeepers don't cater to. So... If you think you've got something to appeal to a group of people, then you can you have the option now of doing it yourself and publishing it yourself. Now that has its own set of challenges, which I'll get into, you know. But because now you got to how you differentiate yourself from the other hundred thousand people who also self-publish something just like you, and you know how do you separate yourself from that herd? How do you get noticed? How do you get in front of people who want to read it? So mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a there's a bunch of stuff really to this and. I mean, there's different methods. I'm traditionally published now. I mean, I'm with Bay and I'm with a publishing house. Um, but but I've got, you know, I've done it both ways. So um, that's one of the things I'll talk about is just kind of the business aspect. Another thing is, too, a lot of people who, who don't make a living at this stuff, it's, it's because they don't treat it like a job. Uh, and one of the big keys is treating it like your profession. I mean, you actually work like it's your profession. It will become your profession. Um, yeah. If it's like your artsy fartsy hobby where you just write when like the muse comes upon you and all that garbage, then you're not going to make it. Um, because I, I, think, I think I've used this analogy before, even talking to you guys. Is like I used to be an accountant. I'm a retired accountant, and I had to do accounting every single day, or I'd get fired. I couldn't be like, well, I don't feel like accounting today. I don't. I don't. My, my you know, I. I'm not moved to do this spreadsheet, or my audit muse isn't speaking to me. It's got bullcrap. <laughs> I get fired, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that's a big part of it. So we're gonna go into a bunch of stuff. It'll be a fun class. Uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Certainly. Now, if for someone that wants to write, would you say it's easier to jump in to go write a novel, or should they kind of write short stories to kind of get the you know, fine tune their their craft and then go towards the novel, or does it, does it not really matter? Um, on that one, it's going to depend entirely upon the person's personality. Uh, one thing you'll discover with writers is some people are more naturally inclined towards writing short fiction, and other people are more naturally inclined towards writing novels. And there's not a right <laughs> answer. Now, as far as making a living, uh, novels is where it's at. Novels, I mean, you can sell to every short story market and not make a living off it. Um, there's just not that much money in short stories. So you got to learn to write a novel. Um, but when you're starting out, the important thing is just write, period. Um, even if you just write scenes, uh, the biggest hurdle is people just don't, they just don't start. They, uh, or if they start something, they don't finish it. And so they never really give themselves an opportunity to grow or, or to fail. Because failure is a big part of this, learning from your failure. So whatever it is that makes you happy, do it, uh, and then do something else. If you start writing a novel and then you get stuck, push through and finish it, or stop and go do something else, and then come back. But the important thing is you just got to write. Um, yeah. I think fan fiction is great. 
for people starting out, I think it's wonderful because what will happen is they're going to learn the basic fundamentals of telling a story uh, without having to worry about nearly as much world building and uh, things like that. Plus, if they're big fans, they're already enthusiastic. So, I mean, I think people writing fan fiction is a wonderful gateway drug to uh, to becoming a full-time author. I mean, I uh, I do this for a living, and heck, I basically wrote a novel of Legend of the Five Rings fan fiction based upon uh, based upon a role-playing campaign. Um, and uh, I just did that for fun, and I was already a professional. But it was just fun. Yeah. It was uh, I enjoyed it, and it uncorked my brain. And uh, you know, I wrote some good stuff. And then you know, I, there's no such thing as wasted writing. So you take all the awesome stuff you created, and you pull it out later and stick it in the stuff that pays you. So hmm. you know, there's, there, you can't go wrong as long as, as long as you're doing it, you'll be fine. Nice. So. You, you mentioned world building. Is that kind of probably the most difficult part uh, of writing? Is building the world around you in the story you're telling, or is it more what what parts are kind of more difficult? Uh, it depends on the personality. Again, some people are huge world builders, and they they just love to sit there and tinker and write up their giant world bibles. Uh, some people some people are researchers. Well, they'll do so much research and world building that they never actually get around to writing the book. Um, other people suck at world building, but they're awesome at characters. Uh, some people are absolutely terrible at characters, but they have intricate plots. And so basically it's just finding whatever it is that uh, – take, take your strengths and build on, build on those. And as you get uh, better in the stuff you're weaker at, you'll, just come, you'll become a, a more well-rounded author. Uh, so really it's one of those – there's not really a right answer to that. It's, everybody's – Everybody's enthusiastic about something. And whatever it is you're enthusiastic about, as you're writing that, your enthusiasm will be contagious and it's going to come through the pages and the readers will sense that you're excited and then they'll be excited too. So if it is world building, then run with it. If you suck at world building, concentrate on the stuff that you're good at. And uh, as you practice, the world building will come. So if you're like, you like super amazing snappy dialogue, then work out, you write that, and then the world will be built around it. Because what are these awesome people saying funny stuff to each other? You know, what's going on around them? Why are they the way they are? And the next thing you know, you're building a world. So, hmm. it, yeah, it's, it's honestly, <clears throat> I don't like when people are, they give you like a checklist, and they say, okay, to write a novel, you need to do the following ten steps. Do this, do this, do this. Ugh, you know. That's not fun. Where's the joy in that? I don't, I don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> so, and most creative people don't. And uh, honestly, beyond basic formatting, there really isn't much you can't mess with and get away with it, provided people like it. Um, yeah. yeah. Really, the only hard and fast rule in this is, does your audience like it, yes or no? If yes, you can get away with it. If no, take it out. That's basically it. Nice. Smart. You got any questions? Well, dealing with your jump from the action-oriented thriller move over to a fantasy, did you find that hard to get your mindset into the fantasy world? But you know, you've been talking about how you are a, a, a tabletop role player, so I'm 
take it that wasn't too complicated for you, but did you find a challenge in writing that way? Um, not necessarily, just because I've been planning this one for so many years. This had been percolating in my head for so long while I wrote other stuff that was currently paying me. Um, so I, I didn't I didn't really have a problem making the transition. In fact, it was one of the funny things on the reviews is because I have such a reputation of being a pulp action guy, people were surprised because they picked this up expecting pulpy action. And one of the comments I'm getting from the re- early reviews is, wow, this is actually kind of deep and intricate. <laughs> like, I'm like, they're kind of like, wow, we didn't know that Larry Korea could have nuance. <laughs> and, and I'm like, ha-ha, cool, Jeff. <laughs> but, uh, it's kind of like, it, it, uh, you get these ideas as an author, and it's just, it can even be just a little visual or one line of dialogue, and that'll get stuck in your head, and then stuff is just going to start to collect on that idea, and over time it's going to spin until the next thing you know you've got a whole story you've got to tell. And uh, that's kind of how this one was. I was actually listening. I hadn't even seen the movie yet, and the Inception soundtrack had just come out. And I was actually working on... Uh, uh, I was writing Monster Hunter Alpha. And I was listening to the Inception soundtrack while I wrote. I just downloaded it. And there was this one song called Waiting for a Train uh, by Hans Zimmer. And it's just got this song from the previews where it's got the big boom. You know, you know the, the boom sound? Yeah. <laughs> Every movie since is copied in their trailers. Um, but, but I listened to that, and it just builds up to this huge, it starts really slow. It's like eight minutes long. builds up to this huge crescendo. Um, Someone sings in French, and then it's over. And I, I remember listening to this song, and I stopped writing what I was working on, and I wrote a short scene to that song, where it was just the one scene was that was like that was the soundtrack for this one scene. Um, and then that's actually what I wound up building this novel out of several years later. So it's weird where this stuff comes from. You know, you just gotta you just gotta run with it. So, uh, yeah, there's a really hyper-violent knife fight scene in this book. <laughs> that's, that's where it comes from. And uh, actually, you know, Steve Diamond's a book reviewer. He read he read that scene, and he's on my alpha readers, and he contacts me, like, right after. He goes, dude, that is the most violent thing I have read in a fantasy novel in years. <laughs> Which, you know, Steve reads a lot of books, so I took that as a huge compliment. But uh, it's it, I don't know it's uh, it's it's weird where this stuff comes from and you just kind of you just kind of run with it I guess. So going from like it said it talks about you being a fire, firearm instructor and that might have came through with your horror novels, but how did it come over to helping you with writing about swords and daggers and oh, knife fights? Man. Well, one good thing is one good thing is violence still translates over. And that's one thing that I am good at. Um, and I've done my homework, and actually I've studied most of my life <laughs> how to inflict violence upon others. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty good at it. So one thing that does translate over is a lot of the emotions and the feelings and the sensations of it, uh, the physicality of it. That that stays the same. Now, I did have to learn a lot about sword fighting and, uh, you know, martial combat beyond my knowledge of, you know, watching kung fu movies which I've seen a lot. <laughs> but uh, uh, luckily for me, uh, my editor, 
uh, at, at Bam is uh, is Tony Weisskopf. And Tony Weisskopf was married to uh, Hank Reinhardt before he passed away. And Hank Reinhardt is the guy, he's one of the leading people in uh, who kind of brought back like the Western martial arts movement where they started bringing back uh, uh, sword fighting techniques, European sword fighting techniques, like the real ones as opposed to fencing. And mm-hmm. he's the guy that started museum replicas. Um, and, um, and so this dude... This dude has forgotten more about swords and sword fighting than most people alive. So, um, and so he, you know, and then Tony uh, published his books. I recommend Book of the Sword to anybody who's going to write anything with sword fighting in it. Fantastic book. Book of the Sword by Hank Reinhardt. Um, but having Tony as my editor for writing uh, those kind of scenes is fantastic because she reads those and will immediately tell me if I'm full of crap. Um, and so just, you know, you do your research, you do your homework, you try to get it as good as you can. Um, anything you're not an expert in, find somebody who is an expert and bounce it off them. That's that's pretty much what, what I did. And um, it, From what I heard, it's came out pretty good. And there will be guns in it later, but they're very, very old school. Okay. <laughs> you know, we're talking... We're talking matchlocks. We're not talking good guns. <laughs> so when you're dealing with knife fights with me personally, I can picture myself being stabbed and cut because I've been cut before and different. I can feel that pain. Did you find that easier to come across as as you wrote it that people would understand that? Where I watch movies or read some, something about people getting shot with a gun, I have no idea what that's like. So well, does that I've never make been it shot. You? I've never been shot, thank goodness. Um, I taught a lot of classes where I wore a vest, though, because there were, I was working with police departments I didn't exactly trust. <laughs> there, are, there are some guys out there that just shouldn't know. They just shouldn't be carrying guns. Let's put it that way. Uh, in law enforcement, and yeah. So I no, no, I knock on wood. Um, no, actually, uh, one of the things that helped me as a writer um, for writing that kind of things was. I, uh, I took a uh, uh, wound ballistics class from some of the Department of Homeland Security people. And what it was was an eight-hour class just going through autopsy photos and going over shootings and uh, people who'd been shot and dealing with the, the gunshot wounds. And, and so basically it was just kind of this encyclopedia of knowledge that most people never have the opportunity to learn much about. And I was able to take that in over the years and stick it into my writing to make things more interesting, more visceral, um, you know, learning from the experience of others. And, uh, you know, you could do that with pretty much any topic. Um, just take the really cool stuff, you know, become an expert on something, take the really cool stuff out and stick it into your books. I mean, Michael Crichton made a career out of that, where he would have some topic where he would, uh, you know, learn a ton about, and then he'd write about it, and he'd take all the really interesting bits and, Stick them in there, and you know you would feel smart when you got done with a Michael Crichton novel. It's like, oh, so that's how DNA works. Let's make dinosaurs, you know. And uh, so you get those little pieces of expertise to stick them in there. You know, having never been stabbed either, you know, it's one of those things you just kind of learn from other people what you can and stick them in there to make it interesting. As long as it's compelling and believable to the audience, you can totally get away with it. Um, yeah. Because I've, I've never fought a dragon. <laughs> yes, you have many times. Well, that's what I mean, because I hear people say, you know, you write what you know. Okay, yes and no. But the problem is you only write what you know. Most of us, our lives are pretty boring. 
Um, so people get afraid. They're like, well, I don't know about this, so I'm not going to write about it. Well, go learn about it or fake it until you make it, you know? But I, when I first started out, I, was, I sucked at writing romance. Um, you know, because I look at it this way. I had one successful relationship in my entire life. I've been married for 17 years. Um, so I was like, what do I know about writing romance? <laughs> so I avoided it at first, or I wasn't very good at it when I did try to do it. But the more you do it, the more you write it, the easier it gets, and then you just kind of learn about it, and you just kind of you know, learn from other people, and you extrapolate out from there. And the next thing you know, you can you can pull it off. And you can make it believable. Boy, I ramble. You asked me a simple question about knives. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. But we hope for it. Next thing I'm like talking about Nicholas Sparks, the notebook, you know? <laughs> Looks like we might have another caller calling in for a question, so uh, oh. let's answer this real quick. Thanks for calling Denver College Radio. Uh, hello? 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 Yes, yes. Um, you this have a question for Larry? Yeah, this is a regular reader of Larry Correa's blog. What was that again? Can you repeat that? A regular reader of Larry Correa's blog. Okay. Did you have a question for Larry? Oh, oh yes, I do. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, Larry? Yes. Yeah, first, yeah, first of all, I, me and me, I strongly enjoyed your Grim Noir book, and I even got my cousins into it. Well, one of my, well, one of my cousins and a friend. Well, thank you. Second, yeah, yeah, second, yeah, the second thing is, the Grim Noir book comes off to me like a Japanese anime, and that's a good thing. <laughs> we watch a lot of anime in my house. So, yeah, have you seen Luther Rankin, by the way? Because the um, because the way you describe the spellbound is a lot like the bad guy in that one. Nope, I have not. Though my daughter is currently working on her gang and rompa um, costume for cosplay, <laughs> but that's not one that I've seen. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. And and the third thing is, when is that next Grim Noir trilogy going to come out? Because I listened to Orient Orient Elite and Tokyo Raider on audio, and those were awesome, and I want to see the rest of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I'll talk about that. Um, okay. So. Uh, Grim Noir Chronicles, for those who aren't familiar, they talk about this, this trilogy I have set in the 1930s, an alternate history fantasy. Um, and uh, there's a couple um, novellas that kind of bridge the gap between that trilogy and the next series, which is actually going to be set in the 1950s. Uh, I don't know when those are coming out yet, because I have several books ahead of them in the queue to get done. But we do have a, a whole other trilogy planned. Just like the 1930s one is kind of like my love song to noir, pulp, Raymond Chandler type stuff, only with magic. Uh, this is going to be moved into the 1950s, so it's going to be golden age of sci-fi. Um, I mean, heck, I introduced I introduced Robert Heinlein as a minor background character uh, <laughs> on an, you know, an airship uh, in, the, in the first series. So this is kind of my love song to 1950s, golden age of sci-fi, um, uh, things of that nature. Really looking forward to it, and uh, just, I don't 
don't know exactly when yet because I actually have a couple Monster Hunter books. Because um, we're planning on releasing two Monster Hunter novels next, right next to each other in 2016. Um, and so those are first, and I've also got to finish the next Dead Six novel. So I actually don't know uh, a date on that trilogy yet. It's going to be probably two years. Um, this is, it's a rate that I write about two, two and a half books a year. It'll take me probably two years to get those, to get those out. So, uh, yeah, uh, that was a great question. Oh, you know, what, right. you know what I haven't, you know, I never actually said with that, uh, shoot, because we talked about the, the book coming out in October, the next one. I never actually said what it was about. <laughs> yeah, Son of the Black Sword. Let's let's go back to that. So, Dude, what I, is the Son I of the Black Sword about? Marketing. I'm like the worst person at this. Um, okay, so uh, here's the basic idea. Um, it's uh, it's uh, it's a fantasy novel. It's set on one continent. Um, basically, hell is the ocean. No one crosses the ocean. They're completely cut off from the rest of the world. It's been that way for a long time because it rains demons, and uh, that's what occupies the sea. Uh, on this continent are uh, a group of... Um, there's one central government, but there's a group of uh, houses that compete against each other in war constantly, and they keep it that way. It's a completely secular society where they have banned religion, and the uh, main character is a uh, fundamentally an inquisitor. He works for the government. He is a kind of a roving magical law enforcer who kills people who step out of line against the really super draconian laws that they have. They've got a uh, very brutal caste system. It's actually it's not based on Western society. It's um, kind of a takeoff of uh, kind of a mismatch of, of India and Southeast Asia, primarily in East Africa. Um, so it's just kind of a, a it's a big story of uh, it's a great big rebellion and uh, just completely brutal and unflinching and awesome and. Uh, I got the the main character. Like I said, he, start, I mean, he starts out as as basically the villain, and uh, we follow this person uh, through his life as he discovers that he's not what he thinks he is, and uh, all hell breaks loose. Um, yeah, I, I'm really I'm really proud of this one, and uh, I need to come up with a shorter, pissier blurb. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that sounds pretty cool. So he's originally well, kind well, the of one the thing villain. I can't do is write back cover, back cover blurbs. <laughs> <laughs> that's like my, that's like a one piece of writing that I suck at, man. I will sit down and I can write twenty pages in a few hours, but you ask me to write three paragraphs for a back cover, that takes me two days. <laughs> so he starts out as a villain, and then he kind of changes over time. Is that well, what okay, the main so, character so happens? They, yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but basically what it is is um, this this order they belong to are. Um, this kind of just hyper-militant uh, enforcers, because the law is just brutal, and the caste systems are just brutal. And uh, they just basically punish anybody that steps out of line. Magic exists, but it's extremely regulated by the central bureaucracy. Uh, the central bureaucracy is very Mandarin, um, and it meddles in absolutely everything. This guy is just completely unflinching, and is fundamentally a sociopath. Um, but as I tell the, tell the story, it's basically uh, you discover why the guy is the way he is, and also it kind of evolves. And basically this first book is the origin story of the guy who's kind of a cross between George Washington and the Punisher. So, um, it's, you know, 
I, I'm a huge George Washington fan. Don't, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm also a Punisher fan. But um, so it's basically just somebody who does just absolutely the right thing in the most direct way possible, um, and just completely unflinching. Or when I was talking to when I was talking to Butcher, and, and, and Butcher was reviewing the book and, and you know giving me blurbs, and one of the things he talked about is he loved having a character who was uh, so grounded in the intangible. If that makes sense, um, and it's just—it's a lot of fun. Basically, I wanted to write a paladin who wasn't lawful stupid, um, <laughs> and so it's more like lawful. Period. <laughs> and good and evil just doesn't matter, and it's just irrelevant. It just is. And as time goes on, it—you know—actually. And that's one of the things people are like, wow, this is actually surprisingly deep for, you know, Mr. Action Explosion, guys. Because I get to delve into, you know, what does it mean to be, uh, I mean, to, to have humanity? And, uh, and what, is, what is the nature of that? And compassion and love and, and, and living for a purpose uh, versus living just for rules and, uh, and the status quo. So, yeah, it's, oh, and I stab and blow up a whole lot of people. <laughs> nice. Just, nice. So I, I, I really like the, the record for severed limbs for me, but it's probably close. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like the fact that you threw in that uh, not lawful stock because that's that's always one of the the hardest things about playing a paladin is there's like this weird mindset that they have to be so strict and to the letter where you know it, you can still be lawful. I think Sturm Brightblade is probably one of the best paladins I've ever seen in literature where. He does what's right and what he feels is right, not what is dictated is right. So um, yeah, that that Tracy Tracy and Margaret they created a fantastic character. Um, and the fact is, we're we're this old and we can still remember Sturm Brightblade. It tells you they created a really effective character. I mm-hmm. cried. You know, spoiler alert because the book's been out for thirty years. <laughs> you know, <laughs> But I, man, I, I I teared up, man. I cried at that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that, that yeah, is no, definitely a memorable scene. Well, and I took a different tack because I start out where it is, uh, it's not doing the right thing because you know, it's the right thing. It starts out as just doing the law, even when mm. it's the wrong thing. Like, oh. so it's it's yeah, it's just. Well, because it gets into caste systems too, and I and I model that upon you know, kind of the the, the Indian caste systems of, uh, uh, and basically the fifteen sixteen hundreds, and uh, and it was brutal. It was insane. It was so incredibly, just just a vile way for human beings to treat each other, and uh, you know, and to try to bring some some hope and compassion and uh, and purpose into this. Um, I mean, it, was, it was a challenge. It was a lot of fun. But then again, I just got done writing a book about Agent Franks, who is, you know, you know, basically lawful evil, <laughs> lawful ambivalent, and uh, so you know, let's practice up writing sociopaths. So that worked pretty well. <laughs> now, and everyone can of course follow you on Twitter, Facebook, yeah, and your your blog as that caller called in. Uh, what are those again? Uh, on Twitter, I'm Monster Hunter 45. Uh, on Facebook, I'm just Larry Korea, and on my uh, my blog is the uh, MonsterHunterNation.com, 
or just Google search uh, Monster Hunter Nation or Larry Korea and you'll find it. Nice. Now, I have to ask, why Monster Hunter 45? Uh, that seems unusual. Because uh, Monster Hunter was already taken. Okay. <laughs> and 45 is my favorite book caliber. So okay. uh, it's super creative. Um, that works. You know, it's one of those... You know, I probably could have picked something fifth-year, but uh, as you've seen, I struggle with being short and direct, which is why I suck at Twitter. I am I'm not, You're not the only Twitter. one. No, mostly I get on Twitter and wind up getting in arguments with crazy people. That's primarily what I do on Twitter. Yeah. I, I, I hate the character limitation. I cannot have a conversation in 140 characters. Yeah. Oh, man, and then people are all like, well, I read your complex opinion on this complex subject. Why don't you justify it here on Twitter? It's like, <laughs> what? This is the stupidest way to communicate possible. I could communicate more to you in Morse code. Yes. <laughs> Holy probably crap. smoke signals. Yeah, they, they do that. It's like, justify your complex opinion on Twitter. You didn't answer my question. Why only got 140 characters? <laughs> Holy it crap! Just, it is. Yeah. Twitter is designed for dumb sound bites, and uh, yeah. Yeah. that's why I mostly use it for pithy insults. <laughs> now, are you going to be at any conventions other than Comic Con soon, or is this kind uh, of your mellow year? I'm doing I'm doing less this year because last year I did 13. Uh, I yeah. did 13 cons last year, and that killed me. That was just too much. I could have wrote another book uh, in that time. So I, I do have several more. Uh, I'm going to ALA and BEA this year, which are writer and librarian things. But uh, let's see, I've got Comic-Con. I'm skipping Gen Con this year because I'm going to Dragon Con. I haven't been to Dragon Con for a couple years. Um, and then I, I was scheduled for Liberty Con, but I had to cancel that because of the scheduling conflict, which is a bummer because Liberty Con's awesome. So right now, off the top of my head, I can think I've got Dragon Con and Comic-Con. Um, well, hey. Your, your wife might more. be a little bit more yeah, happy. I have one more, and, I'm, and this summer, and I'm drawing complete blank on what it is. Shoot. Because that's only five. Okay, well, there's I'm one sure more they, in there. Yeah, then go to your website. I'm sure they can find it there. Yeah, and uh, I got a book tour uh, in October um, um, for uh, Son of the Black Sword. I will be all over America um, for about three weeks straight, just gallivanting around the country. Um, I, and once I have the final schedule for that, that'll be posted up on my blog too. But I know I'm going to Minneapolis, I'm going to Boston, I'm going to uh, Phoenix, I'm going to San Diego, Portland, Seattle, um, and I'm probably forgetting some other ones. So, uh, uh, yeah, so I'll be all over the place. So okay, well, we're, say almost, we're almost out of time, so you know, thanks for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure. And oh, yeah, anyone, that hasn't read, yeah, anyone else that hasn't read Monster Hunter, the Grim Noir series, go pick it up. You're going to love it. Or even pick up the audiobooks. Uh, and then uh, in October, run out and grab Son of the Black Sword because this will be an amazing fantasy book. So, all right. Well, thanks again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Larry. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right. 